had contemplated this morning doing a message on churches and pastors. Ooh, boy, there's a, a bit of a hum in the system, huh? Contemplated doing a message on churches and pastors and kind of the why, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to do a brief introduction. Um, when God called this church into existence, we knew that we were going to be unlike other churches in some ways, and then we hoped that we would be just like churches in some other ways. But we knew that we were called to something that was for us. It, it wasn't supposed to be like somebody else. It wasn't supposed to be in contradiction to someone else. It was supposed to be to be true to who we were. And one of those things that we knew from the very beginning was that we needed to be a church that simply and purely, as best, in the best way that we could, taught the truth of God's Word not from a denominational perspective, not from a a human writing perspective, but from the perspective of God's Word itself, which makes preaching in a place like this a little bit of a unique challenge because that's not the way most preachers are taught to preach. This year so far, you have heard me and two other men who have preached the Word to you. Uh, Jeff last Sunday, thank you Jeff, and Rich on the 31st of December. Technically not this year, but close enough makes the point. So what is it that qualifies them or anybody else to preach? You know, as around here, I think it's, it's, it's as simple as this. Number one, you have to have a true love for Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not just a knowledge of the Bible, but along with that, a knowledge of the Bible, a love for the Bible, and, and to be a student of the Bible, and both of those guys do. Uh, in addition to that, they, they actually believe it. When they preach, they preach with conviction because it's who they are. And that is what I would hope you would get every Sunday from the pulpit of this place. And then one other thing that qualifies them, maybe as much as or more than anything else, and that is this. Never, never, not once, not from one elders meeting, you can talk to every elder who has ever served at this church, never once have we talked about the goal of being a big church. Our goal has been to be a biblically faithful church. Our goal has been to be a church that teaches God's Word and ministers to God's people. And, And... The thing that I love about Jeff and Rich is both of those men, more than anything else, love people. They're not nearly as worried about a career trajectory as they are worried about you. And it doesn't do us any good as a church to get big if we're getting big by being shallow. And so the reason that we hold God's Word in such high priority is that God's Word helps us to grow deep. God's Word helps us to grow in understanding of who He is and in in love for each other. And so I just want to say to both of you, because you're both here at the same time, thank you for being men who faithfully studied and brought God's Word to us. You will both have the opportunity to do that again in the future. And we as a congregation are blessed when men and women who have a deep knowledge and understanding and a love for God and a love for people are also called to preach God's Word. So thank you to both of you. Last week, Jeff talked to you uh, about John 17, verses 1 to 5. This section that we're in right now, it is tough. It is heavy. It is dense. Uh, There's just so much going on. There's so much emotion going on. There's so much going on that we understand, reading it after the fact, that the disciples at the time just didn't even grasp. It's it's like there's levels of conversation that are happening, and Jesus saying things that it's taken us 2,000 years to fully get a grasp on. And last year, last week Jeff made a comment and I just love this he he talked about how we're living in eternity right now that eternity isn't something that we're waiting for we're living in eternity 
We know that God is an eternal God, and that goes both ways on our spectrum of time. God has always been, and God will always be. And as I listen to Jeff, we right now are living in eternity. Eternity isn't something that we're waiting for. We're living in it. Now, we're living in eternity with the understanding that we are able to look forward to an eternity in heaven. But we don't live this life just waiting to get to the next one. We live this one understanding that we are eternal creatures. And so if you missed that message last week, I would encourage you to go back online. Just go one week, pull it up, and give it a listen. It is well worth it. It will help put your life in great perspective. We are living in eternity now. And so today we're going to continue this prayer. And that's what this is. This whole chapter 17 is this wonderful prayer that Jesus prays with His disciples. It's just before He goes to the cross. He knows what's coming. They have been told, but they're still kind of in a state of disbelief. Uh, If you grew up in the church, you grew up with another prayer, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. In reality, that's the prayer when Jesus' disciples said, teach us how to pray. He said, pray like this. Never once does He say, pray this prayer. He says, pray like this. And He gives a a format, a formula for how we can pray and how we can put things in the right order and God in His proper perspective and us in ours and how we can pray with the right mindset praying in God's will. And so we call that the Lord's Prayer. In reality, this is probably the real Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer for us living on this side of heaven. So I'd encourage you today, because we're not going to be able to work our way all through, uh, through all the verses that we've got on tap. We're going all the way from 6 to 19. I would encourage you to go home, pull out the 17th chapter of John, read verses 1 through 10 and 26, read the whole prayer in its total, and you'll be able to get it in context. Not just His words, but His intent. There's too much to try to get through this morning. We'd, we'd be here all day. So we're going to jump a, a little bit through. We're going to skip some verses, and I'll, I'll let you know when we do. But I really would encourage you to read the whole thing because the whole prayer gets to an understanding of how much Jesus cares for His disciples and you'll also understand in there what Jesus' prayer would be for you and I. So as prelude, you often hear me tell you when I, when I read passages of Scripture and when I put together uh, sermons, as I read the Bible, there's a, there's a movie that starts playing in my head. I don't really control it anymore. It just starts happening and the, the characters and, and the, the plot and the setting and, and all of it just kind of starts happening on its own and they come to life. And, and I don't mind that. I don't stop it. And sometimes it takes me into interesting places. It causes me to ask great questions as I'm trying to understand a text. Well, this movie today would be a really incredible movie because Jesus is with His disciples. So you've got Jesus, the Son of God, praying to His Father about the disciples who are right there sitting with Him. And that alone is pretty incredible when you've got Jesus, the Son of God, praying for you, and He's talking to God, and you know God is listening to Jesus, right? So imagine what the scene would be in this movie with these disciples. And then you go on and it's even further because Jesus has talked so much in recent chapters about the Holy Spirit. He calls the Holy Spirit the Helper that He will send. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us in our prayers. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us understand that's part of His job for us here on earth. So you've got all three of the Trinity gathered in one place at one time. The disciples are literally in the presence of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit as Jesus is praying. Would that make a great movie or not? Okay, you're quiet. That would make a great movie. I'll answer for you. See, the thing is, though, it's no different than what Jesus says that we have today because the Holy Spirit's been sent. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit 
is alive and at work in the world in the hearts of believers all over the world. Jesus, we know, paid the price for our sin on the cross and God raised Him from the grave. And Jesus is alive today and we know that God asks us. He invites us to come to Him in prayer. And so God is still there listening. And so you, right now, have the power of all three of those at your disposal when you've got something that you want to go to God in prayer with. And yet maybe it's easier to think of it in terms of a movie that happened with some other people some other time. But I want you to put yourself into this movie. I want you in some way, shape, or form to try to understand what it might have been to have been there that day. What would it have been like to hear Jesus pray this prayer? See, I I like doing the movies in my head because the people and the action is so real. I mean, we're, we're talking ancient truth here. We're talking the history of God at work among humans. The Bible isn't a bunch of stories that we can just go, yeah, you know what, I can learn some. That's an Aesop's fairy tale. Maybe we could learn something, a fable, we can learn something from it. Maybe there's a morality lesson. The Bible is very different. This is God's history of God at work among human beings. And today we get to see a little bit of this conversation that Jesus is having as he's, as he's talking to God. And so imagine if this movie, if you had the opportunity, you can be the director of it, you get to pull together the roles. Well, there's some roles that have been spoken for. God's taken, sorry. We might like to be God once in a while, but God's taken. God gets to be God. The role of the Son, Jesus, that's taken. The role of the Holy Spirit, that's taken. But you know, the role that's yet to be decided that you would get to fill is what's your place. So think about it for a moment, because this is kind of fun. You've done this before. If someone wanted to do a movie of your life, who would play you? Be brave for a moment. Come on, think about it. Who would be that manly man or that beautiful woman that would take the job of being you in the movie, right? Come on, give yourself a second and do it i got to be honest, every guy that I can come up with looks nothing like me. They look the way I wish I looked, but they look nothing like me. See, but if you're the director and you get to, to pull this movie together, it's an important thing who, who takes that role. Because if our movie, if our life got the acclaim that it might deserve and the media got on board and the movie became a big hit, and just maybe you got to be interviewed on Oprah, so the movie went really big. See what I did? I used her name in a very nice way there. What would people say about it? God at work in your life. The story of God at work, of Jesus praying in your life, changing. People say it's beautiful. It's incredible. People say it's glorious. And we're going to talk about the word glory, of course, because John is all about glory. And I thought, what would our president say? He'd say, amazing. It's an amazing movie. It's an unbelievable movie. You've got to see it. He'd even say that movie's going to be huge, right? Because God is at work in the life of a human being in you. And if that's not interesting, I don't know what is. See, here's why I ask you, because when you choose the major roles, you're choosing the people who will represent you. Who is that person that will most, most well capture who you are? They're going to speak through you. The world that sees this movie is probably never going to meet you, because you and I, we've never met a movie star, most of us. But we know the roles that they play. The world is going to know you through whoever this is. It's important because when God wrote the story and handed His story to us in the words of the Bible, guess what? Do you know who God chose to play a leading role? You. God chose you to play a leading role in His story on earth. 
But like with people in Hollywood, you have the right to take a look at the script and say, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to do it. That's not my part. I'm, I'm not interested in that. Thank you. I've got other projects in mind. But God chose you to play a leading role, not just for you, but for other people. So your part is so significant that Jesus says in a little bit, and we're going to look at this first, that He's actually glorified in us when we do our part the way that God has asked us to do it. We represent Him. Jesus is glorified in the lives of Christians who live in a personal relationship of godly obedience to Jesus' command. That is the role that God chose for you. Your life. The person that you are right here, right now, can glorify your Lord and Savior. I don't know that there's anything more important than we can do in this life. We plan ourselves like crazy. We are so overbooked. We are stressed. We are, we're doing everything we can to try to find some time. We hear people all the time say, I wish I had 48 hours in a day, right? Man, you get down at the work day and you've got to do all the personal stuff and time just runs out. There's no time for fun. Time just flies. But what if our life and the way that we chose to live it and the things that we chose to do and not to do could bring glory to Jesus? So think about that. God, the Creator of the universe, the One who's called everything into being, uses people like you and me. People who are on our very best day are still sinners to be the one that carry the light of His love into the world. Who glorify not ourselves, but Him. So that doesn't really make sense because in this world we watch people all the time who sing their own praises. They tell everybody how amazing and incredible they are. People who heap praise and glory and, and uh, honor on themselves, most of whom don't even deserve it. And yet we as Christians are called to give all glory to God. If you happen to watch the Super Bowl last Sunday, something very interesting happened after that game. All of the world has got these television cameras and they're watching just a couple. And there's a couple of very famous reporters that are on the field, cameras behind them, microphone in hand, and they go to the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, the world champion, first time they ever won. They go to the coach. And then they go to the quarterback, the only backup quarterback who wins a Super Bowl who will be a backup quarterback next year. Think about that one. And you know what they say? The first thing out of their mouths, all glory to God. All glory goes to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The media didn't know what to do because the cameras were rolling and they were live. There was no delay. They couldn't clip it out. They couldn't throw it away. They couldn't drop it to the cutting room floor. Those men who had just won for the first time in the history of their team, they had just won the Super Bowl. They were the best in the world. And do you know what they had to say? All glory goes to God, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They could have said, oh, I worked so hard, I did so much, I earned this one. But they didn't. They said all glory goes to God, and they took that opportunity to live a life and to use that stage that they had to give glory to God at the pinnacle of the greatest moment in their lives. They were clear about who this life is really all about, and they made sure that everyone watching knew. What about you? What about me? Do the people who know you best, the folks you work with, your friends, do they know who you're living for? Do they know who it is? If there is any bit of good or success in your world, do they have any idea where the credit goes? 
Do they hear about how hard you've worked? Do they hear about how much you've tried? How much you've invested? Or do they just hear you say, you know what, all glory goes to God. I've had the opportunity to have some great uh, things in front of me, but you know what, it's God that carried me. What do they hear? What is it that they're hearing from you? So let's look at a few verses from chapter 17 where Jesus is praying, and, and let's see what it is that He has to say about glory and how we live as Christians. Chapter 17, starting in the sixth verse. He says, I've manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. Jesus is saying He is God among us. To be manifested is to be made real or to stand proof as, stand as proof of something or to be clearly revealed. Jesus' life made God's name real by becoming God here on earth. It's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? The fancy word is God incarnate, God in human form. What is God in human form? Jesus. And so He is telling the disciples who get to hear this, but He is letting God know, I understand that. That my life, Jesus said, has made Your name real. See, God doesn't exist out there where we so often want to put Him. God exists right here. He goes on, He says, in verse 10, He says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Remember I said I'm going to skip some verses? We had a lot to cover. There was a skip. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, is glorified in us. Not because we wake up and just start the day. God is glorified. Jesus is glorified in us when we live lives of obedience to Him. That brings glory to Jesus. That is what those football players were doing, and Jesus was glorified. In that moment where that coach could have taken all of the credit for himself, because he just beat what is arguably the best team in football, and he did it in a, in a way that he had every right to be proud of. But you know what? He didn't talk about his coaching greatness. He talked about God's greatness. Jesus was glorified. His name was made known. Verse 11, Jesus goes on and He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. That's you and I, and I am coming to you. He's going to heaven. Holy Father, keep them in Your name which You have given Me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And this is key for the church. More about this next week. Jesus' prayer is unity among believers. Keep them one, even as we are one. Do you know there's 33,820 different Christian denominations? 33,820 different Christian denominations. We've turned one church into 33,820 different denominations. How are we doing for unity? Not very well. Jesus is praying for unity in faith, unity in love, and obedience among Christians. Period. His prayer is that all of us as believers would be one, just like Jesus and the Father are one. Seems like a pretty simple prayer, doesn't it? But you know, there's people involved, and so it isn't. God didn't tell us to build churches that are big. He didn't tell us to build churches that were fancy or filled with incredible preaching or great music. God called us to gather together as groups of believers in the unity of His Spirit. And when we do that right, people want to be a part of that. Not because we're doing anything well, but because God is doing what God does. Every once in a while, we'll hear, I hear something in the community with someone who tries to get us to say something or get me to say something about what we're doing right. 
you know what we're doing right? We're preaching God's Word. That's it. We're not making anything up. We're not adding to it. We're not taking away from it. And so very truly, just like the coach and the quarterback of the Eagles, the only thing that we can say around here is all glory to God. Boy, we've made a lot more mistakes than we've done things right. But we have tried to be faithful. We've tried to be true. And we've tried to be united as a congregation in the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, people gather. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is. People want to be a part of it. So how about unity as an example here? Most of you know who the Reverend Billy Graham is, right? You've heard that name? He's been around for a couple of years, preached a couple sermons. A couple of people are probably going to heaven because of him, right? What denomination is the Reverend Billy Graham? Anybody know? He is. He has a denomination. He was ordained in a denomination. Anybody know what it is? That is one of the greatest testaments to that man's life right there. Billy Graham preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He didn't preach from a denominational perspective. He didn't preach from a church. Billy Graham spent his entire career preaching Jesus. All glory goes to God. Is Billy Graham a part of a denomination? He is. But it doesn't matter. It's not the important thing. I want to talk more about that unity next week and what it looks like. But if you want an example of what someone who has a call to Christian unity is... The Reverend Billy Graham spent his life trying to unite people in the Christian church, trying to bring people in from the outside to a part of the Christian church. He wasn't worried about a denomination. He was worried about all glory going to God. Verse 12, While I was with them, Jesus says, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. In this instance, he's referring to Judas. Some translations use a a different word. They use the word perdition. That is used later on in the Bible also, referring to the Antichrist. In this one, without going any further, he's talking about Judas, who made a choice. And so he was lost. Verse 13, But now I'm coming to you, And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus is speaking these things into the world. Why? So that His joy might be fulfilled in us. Can you imagine? Jesus is saying all this stuff so that you and I can have the kind of joy that He has. See, Jesus was filled with joy not because His life was always happy. His life wasn't always easy. Certainly wasn't free of pain. He had people turn their back on Him all the time. Things didn't go his way often. You know, he did an awful lot of really great things for folks that never came back and said thank you. I mean, you talk about a guy that seemed to have folks that expected a lot that didn't do much for him. But you know what? Jesus had joy all the time. Do you know why? Because Jesus was obedient. Joy comes from living in obedience to God's will. And you know what happens when we do that, when we live in obedience to God's will? What we find out that our priorities change, the way we think about things change, the way we address, approach, and go about doing things changes. And before you know it, when we're worried about obedience, first and foremost, our stress starts to go away. Our guilt starts to go away. Regret and worry all disappear. And they're all replaced by joy. Do you know why? Because we're not living for what we want. We're living for what God created us to be. Verse 14, I've given them your word, and the world hated them because you're not of the world. Just as I'm not of the world. This goes back to Pastor Rich's message from the 31st of December. Again, if you missed it, go back online. I'd suggest you go back and give it a listen. It is a very good teaching on the subject. 
If you are a Christian and you live your life as one who tells the world, if your friends and family and the people that you work with know that you are a believer in Jesus, know that you are living your life to the best of your ability, obedient to God's Word, there are people out there that will not like you for no reason other than that. It's called conviction. Because they know they're not living that life. And so the world doesn't know what to do with us but to hate us. In fact, it it isn't us. It's that light of Jesus in us that they're rebelling against. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This is big. Jesus doesn't ask God to remove us from the world and all of the problems that it presents to us. Rather, Jesus asks that God would keep us from the evil one, from the devil, from Satan, from the eternal enemy of God. See, if we follow Jesus, we know that we have an eternal security that cannot be taken away from us, no matter what the devil might try to do. If we're taken out of the world, who will be the church? If we're taken out of the problems and the troubles and the temptations of the world, who will be the church for people who do not yet know Jesus? Yeah, it might make your life easier, but it certainly doesn't accomplish God's purpose for our lives. Who is going to be the light in the darkness? See, the world that doesn't yet know Jesus needs us in the world. The world needs us to be Christians among non-Christians. It needs us to be love in the midst of hate. The world needs us to be light in the darkness. Verse 16, Jesus says, They're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. When Jeff talked last week about eternity being something that that we are in now, it isn't something that we enter into when we die. Eternity is what we're living in right now as Christians. We're citizens of the planet Earth, but at the very same time, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And the world and our eternal home in heaven, they don't get along. And we can't expect that they will. And so the temptation that we have is to try to make our eternal home a little bit more like the world that we're in. And it just isn't going to work. So Jesus says in verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is why we never leave the Bible. To be sanctified is to be made holy. And how are we made holy? It's a process of growing in faith and obedience. And it comes from following the Word of God as our absolute truth for life. Our efforts don't sanctify us. Your best intentions don't sanctify us. You're trying harder today than you did yesterday doesn't sanctify you. Even you're making better choices or better decisions doesn't sanctify you. Our efforts do not sanctify us. God and God alone makes us holy. If you've ever wondered why you should read the Bible, if you've ever wondered why you should go to a church that teaches the Bible, this is one of the very best reasons right here. Because in reading and understanding and doing... We are made a bit more holy every day. In reading and understanding and doing, we're made a bit more holy every day. Each day, when we choose to live in obedience, we become a little bit more and more in the image of Jesus. We begin to look a little bit more like Him and a little bit less like ourselves. There's a class out there that's... uh, been written. It's a, it's a whole series of, of uh, very helpful literature. It's called The Divine Drama. It's written by a man named Harry Went. I had the opportunity to take that whole teacher's class from him a number of years ago. That man had a passion to make the Bible come alive in words and pictures. 
And what he did is he's, he's created a bunch of resources so that people can go and they can teach groups of folks like us. What does the Bible say? What is it from the beginning to the end? What's God doing? Not just in the Bible, but in the world today. What's it all about? It's been very successful. It's been used by I don't know how many people, but here's the deal. You have a front row seat to the most incredible real-life drama that the world has ever known. Your life has a front seat to God's own real-life divine drama. God will always be God. Jesus will always be His Son, our Savior. The Holy Spirit will always do the work of bringing us to faith. However, there is still this opportunity for you, for your life, for every single day that you wake up, to be not only a a scene maker in this drama, but to help redefine eternity for so many other people. The way that we do that, we don't do that by setting out to be something great. We don't do that to be wake up in the morning and decide that we're going to be significant for God. I'm going to go make a big deal. We don't do it by becoming famous or important. God doesn't have a, a real strong history of using people who, who think they're a big deal. When we get too impressed with ourselves, God isn't too impressed with us. Go back to the original disciples. Go back to the first people who were at the core of the church in the book of Acts. See, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's probably pretty safe to say what God did back then is very similar to what God's going to do today. And what God did back then was God used simple, faithful, obedient people to accomplish what is impossible in human terms. Think about those original disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, ordinary men. Jesus spends three years of His life teaching them, being an example of what it is to be a servant leader. And He puts them into a crowd of ordinary, troubled, confused, problem-causing men and women in the midst of political struggle and religious opposition. He puts those people out into the world and before you know it, the good news of Jesus gives birth to what we now know as the Christian church. It's filled with the Holy Spirit and before long it begins to spread around the globe with more of the same message, the good news of Jesus. Ordinary people who are lovingly obedient to an extraordinary God find themselves living a life beyond their wildest imaginations. In 2,000 years of the Christian church, the Christian church has grown this way. It's grown by Christians who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, recognize that they're a sinner, and without Him they have no hope. It's grown by those Christians pouring themselves into God's Word to learn it and to live it. And by those people being community with and for each other. What's the goal of this place? Simply that. If we try to do anything more than that, we're getting away from God's plan for His church and His plan for us. We're just trying to be ordinary people who are lovingly obedient to an extraordinary God. And if we do that, we're going to find ourselves living a life beyond our wildest imagination. You see what this prayer of Jesus has become 2,000 years later? 
It's become us. It's become our church and churches like us all over the place. See, when Jesus prays, things happen. So do you see your place in God's great story? Do you see where you fit in? Do you see what He did for you to give you that place? Do you see that it doesn't matter how hard you try or much you do or how many good things you fix today that you got wrong yesterday? It doesn't matter. What matters is that God gets the glory. It matters that you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. So do you live your life for it to bring glory to God? Or do you live your life for people to be impressed with you? If you're not living your life as a believer in Jesus, it's not too late to start. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're not living your life to give glory to God, it's not too late to start. So when's the best time to begin? Right now. This prayer of Jesus hasn't changed. God's plan for His church hasn't changed. And we get to be a part of it. What role in that incredible divine drama will you play? Let's pray. God, thank You for who You are. Thank You for how much You love us. Thank You for what it is that You have done through Jesus that we cannot do for ourselves. God, we ask that we would understand, that we would know, that we would be convicted and that we would be certain of what it is that You've called us to be. And that is very simply to be believers in Your Son, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior, to recognize that we're sinners and to put our faith and hope and trust in Him. We understand eternity after this life, but we don't always understand eternity as part of this life. It's far more than just going to heaven or going to hell when we die. It's also, how do we live this life and who do we live this life for? God, we ask in the power of Your Holy Spirit that You would give us a desire to live this life to You, for You that our our lives would be to Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, a couple of reminders. Prayer minutes will be right down here up front in just a moment if they can pray with you or uh, for you or even for a loved one or somebody else please come forward and take advantage of that opportunity also a night of worship one week from today 6 p.m get it on your calendars clear things out have dinner before and come ready to worship ash wednesday service 6 30 on wednesday night it's usually about uh, 40 minutes 45 minutes long something like that Uh, and then remember the uh, middle school uh, retreat next weekend also Pastor Rich and Karen, can I invite you to exit the room, please? We're going to talk about you. No, we're not. We're not going to talk about you at all. They're going to be out there so you can uh, greet them, say good morning, introduce yourselves. Uh, They're not going to remember all of our names, but that doesn't mean we can't introduce them. We've got cake as a welcome for them. Please grab some of that and uh, just give them a warm welcome. Welcome them to our congregation. And uh, to all of you, thank you so much for coming this morning. Thank you for being a part of worship here at the Open Door. I hope we see you again. We've got one more song. Take it away. Have a great week, folks.